Ah, uh, yes, friends. On a Thursday, OGP One Giant Podcast flying solo. Yours truly, Adam Armbrecht, also covering the Brooklyn Nets over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy Doug Nori. But coming in today with the Thursday update, uh, Joe Shane officially introduced uh, as the Giants' next GM. Gave you some insights around what his plans are uh, on the roster, what his intentions are maybe with Daniel Jones, and uh, some insights also around the head coaching prospect. And we'll we'll start there just quickly before we dive in. We're going to touch on it, but um, things certainly move fast uh, around the NFL because we were all kind of under this impression that Brian Dable was going to be the leader in the clubhouse to get the job. He's the front runner. And then in the last 24 hours or so, it's come out that he obviously has ties uh, with Miami in the front office, going back to his uh, time down there years ago, but also to Tua at the quarterback position as he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama back in 2017. So we now start to shift gears a little bit and have to reframe ourselves. And as friend of the show, Candace Cooper would not appreciate me telling you, Dan Quinn certainly has to be on the list, but we'll get there in a second. We obviously want to start, as we say, with the Joe Shane introductory press conference as the general manager of the New York football giants. He said it was a bit of a whirlwind process getting here. Uh, finally, though, gets to come in, has been in the building, has met with a few people, among them Daniel Jones. We'll touch on that as well. And really, just to get a sense of the guy, and, you know, listen, we all read too much into what Dave Gettleman said or didn't say when he came in. And now when you look back at it, you go, oh, all, all the little traits that you didn't like in the press conference, you point to those as being bad signs or same thing with Joe Judge. But by and large, I thought that Joe Shane came off as a guy who is ready to take on this position, reference a lot of the people that helped him along the way and the experience that got him to this point regarded the New York football giants organization uh, from John Fox when he overlapped with him in Carolina from speaking with Bill Parcells, right? Everyone still does look at the giants franchise as one of those really stalwart franchises in the NFL. And even after a rough stretch of years, one that you want to be in prominence and, and is a sought after job. So he gets it. Um, and then he goes down a little bit just into what the expectations are coming into this. There's a couple of little audio clips that we want to get to. Uh, one thing that we're not going to hear from the New York football giants going forward is going to be anything about analytics, because as we now know, Joe Shane is a data innovation kind of guy, right? We're not walking around saying, well, the analytics tell us that we X, Y, Z. No, no, no. We'll say through the use of data innovation. We've come to this decision on a draft pick, on a play call, et cetera. But, but everything he also spoke about was a collaborative effort in that regard. Decisions that are going to be made, whether it's on the head coach, whether it's on personnel decisions, uh, something that maybe does feel a little bit in conflict with some of the things we've heard from John Mara over the last couple of weeks regarding ultimately the decision is for the GM to make on a head coach or on a, on a personnel move. And it comes to us and we sign off on it I, again. I think sometimes we get lost in the semantics or the wording of things. It just, it sounds like they're moving in the right direction that Joe Shane is a good guy for the job. Now, the first thing we'll touch on is the head coaching piece, because that's the one that certainly has evolved here over time. He had said, as we know, Brian Flores in for an interview today. Uh, we know that Dan Quinn has been in. And if we, if we're reading the tea leaves that Brian Dable may be closer to the Miami job than to the New York job. There's one of two things that could be going on here. Either the Giants will step up and, and lock him in sooner than later, or uh, as it goes, 
there are longstanding relationships that extend beyond just Joe Shane and Brian Dable at the Buffalo Bills. We said a lot of these podcasts, right? Here's where Flores has time in New England and over in this franchise. And then Joe Shane down to Carolina and up to Buffalo and all these other stops along the way. You interact with a lot of different coaches, a lot of different personnel people, and you don't know how deep those relationships run and what the expectations are. So if Joe Shane was coming in and saying, Brian Dable is my guy and I 100% want him, that's one thing. And you want the Giants to make that happen. But if he came in with very much an open mind and the approach that John Mara did allude to of, we don't want to rush this process. We want to make sure that we're thorough. That means going through the list of candidates that you have you know, available to you that you want to bring in and allowing the collaborative mindset of the organization to make the correct decision in that regard. So uh, on that front, then, if you think that Dable maybe is now sliding out of candidacy and could be going elsewhere, you obviously have Flores who's coming in, and then you're also going to have Dan Quinn, who's already been in the building once. His first interview was already in the building, and we'll, we'll go forward from there. Uh, Patrick Graham also interviewing. So it does open up a couple of different doors here as far as how th things could go forward. We had mentioned previously that Patrick Graham was on the staff down in Miami. The question mark that we had was, uh, at the time that he was let go, was that a Brian Flores decision to move over the coaching staff, or was that something that came from the general manager down there? And if so, is Flores maybe eager to get back together with Patrick Graham, at which point the Giants would maintain some continuity? One red flag that we had talked about with Flores was the idea that he had said, or that was reported, he was into the Giants job, obviously a Brooklyn native, and also wanted to team up with Deshaun Watson at his next location. You did have John Mara come flat out and say, in regards to the idea of Deshaun Watson, said, we are not trading for Deshaun Watson. Now, the, and he, he went on to mention a couple of different factors, not just the cap hit, but also the off-the-field stuff, and he really doubled down on that piece of it, of not just whether or not we could get them and the assets and the cost and where our cap room is, but ultimately, and Joe Shane mentioned this in his press conference as well, right? The right kind of guys that are buying into what we want to do here that represent the organization on and off the field the right way, it matters. And as it stands right now, you know, there, there's no guarantee that Deshaun Watson isn't going to face not only potentially missing time off the field with the way things play out uh, for him, but then also the way the league is going to approach it and the personal conduct policy. So, you know, you're going to move heaven and earth to bring in a quarterback that has a massive cap hit, which would take all kinds of maneuvering and then also maybe not have him for a year. I just think that that's not a bridge that you want to cross. And it's somewhat important that John Mara comes out and says that because with the idea that maybe Flores had that in his mind or it was speculated, you now know when you come in for this interview, this is a conversation about what you feel comfortable with given this construct, given this framework, right? So that means that Flores can speak to what the expectations are if he's looking at Daniel Jones currently, what he thinks about QBs in the upcoming draft class, free agents that could potentially be out there or in the years to come. So I think it's good that if Flores is moving down this process uh, with the interviews, th that maybe there's a little bit more, a little less fire there than, than we thought and maybe just a little bit of smoke, right? Because you can't, there's no world where Brian Flores is coming in for this interview and he wants to be tied to the hip with Deshaun Watson and they're still now getting into second rounds of interviews. It just, that would then raise a red flag as far as the organization and the process that they're involved in. So we can kind of take that as a positive there as well. Then to touch back into it, moving through these head coaches requirements. And by the way, one other thing that Shane said uh, in regarding to his 
expectations around um, head coaches. He said, you know, head, previous head coaching experience isn't necessary. He's not going to hold it against or elevate it above anybody else. Um, but it's just about being on the same page and looking at the roster, looking at personnel, thinking about how you want to grow this team and just being in line and lockstep with your head coach so you can build it going forward. So uh, that seemed to afford the Giants the opportunity to say, that's why Dable not having previous head coaching experience is okay. While on the flip side of it, it doesn't diminish anything from someone, say like a Dan Quinn, who obviously was the DC down in Dallas, but also had five years at the helm of the Atlanta Falcons or a Brian Flores who has three years of head coaching experience, even though the exit may have been a little turbulent. And that's something that Andy mentioned uh, last episode about if you want to have experience, well, that means at some point you were fired from your job, right? Um, so it looks like this all falls into that, just that, that, that space of the giants are not discounting anybody, right? Anyone who's interviewing for the job has as fair a shake as anyone else. And that can include again, an internal opportunity like Patrick Graham. I'll briefly just say, uh, the, the Sean Payton piece, cause I just don't, I don't care about this that much. seems like some people got up in the air around, not necessarily around giants, Twitter or fans, but it, you know, he, Sean Payton steps away from the new Orleans saints. It's really, to me, writing on the wall. Bad draft class for QBs. We don't have it. Cap room hell. I'm going to go ahead and take a big step back. And whether or not he ultimately ends up in Dallas next year or finds himself kind of bill cowering it and ending up, you know, in a Sunday booth or on the set somewhere on one of the networks talking about football and realizes that, hey, you can make a lot of money and not have any of the stress. That, that, that remains to be seen, but this idea that the Giants needed to automatically jump at the opportunity, we have to remember he'd still be under contract. You'd have to compensate the Saints for it. What would that look like? And you'd be bringing in a very vocal voice in the organization, not to say that he hasn't been a very successful one, but obviously that'd be a little bit different with a new GM now and trying to build this organization in his vision. Uh, and again, for as good as Sean Payton has been, we we've said this before. I'm okay with a guy that's had NFL head coaching experience before. I'm also fine with a rookie head coach. I think you need to be willing to be progressive and see what's going to develop along the way. Back into then the comments from Joe Shane regarding Daniel Jones. So we, we you know we've talked about this. What was it going to look like? Where were the Giants going to uh, uh, come into this offseason with a new GM and a new head coach? As far as Daniel Jones is concerned. I asserted that the best path forward is to keep him on this fourth year, not give him the fifth year option, see how he plays out as you get a new system in place, and then take it from there. Quickly, we can say, before we get to the comments from Joe Shane, I will just mention, this was John Mara on Daniel Jones. We do feel Daniel can play. We've done everything possible to screw this kid up. I, I think that that's, the, you know, maybe the most honest statement you've heard from any NFL executive or owner in quite some time, right? Three different head coaches, three different offensive systems, inconsistency on the line play in front of them, dealing with injuries, et cetera. You know, some of these things are not directly related to Daniel Jones, but name me a young quarterback that has success when you see this level of turnover. So that that's the first indication that the Giants feel like, hey, if we're going to acknowledge that we've done some things improperly here over the last handful of years, then it does impact how we look at some of the guys and specifically someone who we think could be the franchise quarterback. But then back over to uh, Joe Shane's comments with his initial press conference on Daniel Jones. This is what he had to say uh, when it came to Daniel Jones and what it's going to look like for him as they enter this offseason. Dive into the film as a group 
and look at what Daniel does best. And we're going to try to, you know, allow him to put his best foot forward. So again, I've looked at him. I know there's been, you know, I wasn't here in the past, so I don't exactly know, you know, what he was told to do, but I do know this. I know he's a great kid. He's been in this building the last two days. I've, I've talked to him. There's not anybody in this building that has said a bad word about his work ethic, passion, you know, desire to win. And I think you got to have those traits as a quarterback. And the kid has physical ability. You know, he's got arm strength. He's athletic. He can run. So I'm really getting, I'm really excited to work with Daniel. And again, when the new staff gets in here, we'll build an offense around Daniel to accentuate what he does best. So the takeaways from that are obviously there's confidence or at least the belief that they want to give him a fair shake. Daniel Jones, that is. And that's understandable. And I think it makes sense. You don't want you, there's no reason to be cutting ties with Daniel Jones in the offseason, let alone dead cap ramifications, et cetera. But just that you feel like if we're now moving ourselves as a franchise in the right direction, we should give a lot, not just Daniel Jones, right? A lot of players should get a fair shake to show what their true value is. That being said, the little caveat that I'll throw into that is when you say he has a good skill set and we're going to come together once we get a head coach in place and tailor a system that accentuates what he does well. Well, what Daniel Jones does well is he throws a pretty good deep ball. He's mobile and can use his legs. And while he struggles a little bit outside the pocket, but he also makes quick reads, quick throws, gets it out of his hand uh, relatively fast. I think that he's a smart player, right? A film guy, et cetera. But what it means is, is you're looking for kind of the modern NFL quarterback, right? Mobile, good down the field arm, can get outside the pocket when he needs to, can use his legs when he needs to. Okay. That can you you can put a system in place that is valuable to Daniel Jones in this moment and also valuable to a number of NFL prospects that you may look at, whether this year's draft, free agency, next year's draft class, next year's free agents, et cetera, right? So I think that that's a good way to approach this offseason. You want to give Daniel Jones a quarterback that's going to be on the roster and most likely going to be the starter for you this year, all the confidence in the world that he can have success and has every chance to be the franchise quarterback going forward and also putting something in place, having a structure, having a system that you feel comfortable dropping another quarterback into. I mentioned uh, Riddler out of Cincinnati on the last episode. I'm not saying the Giants are going to spend a mid-round pick on a kid like that in this year's draft necessarily, but if you think that you see a skill set that is similar to what you see in Daniel Jones that can fit to the system and maybe has a couple other boxes checked or is a little bit better throwing on the run or outside the pocket, whatever the case may be, a little bit more durable or a little bit more Josh Allen in terms of that physical style of running from the quarterback position that can stick his nose in and play tough without suffering injuries as Jones has done. You're going to pull, you're going to, you're going to punch that ticket. You're going to take a look at that because there's every single chance in the world that when we fast forward a year from now, the giants either have a second year quarterback that's developing or will be drafting a rookie quarterback to develop behind a veteran bridge quarterback. So, it's a positive in the short term for Daniel Jones and also leaves it wide open for the Giants to be putting a system in place that they think any number of talented young quarterbacks is going to be able to helm going forward. Um, so that's, listen, maybe that's taking a little bit of the air out of it, depending on how you feel about Daniel Jones, but it is just the reality. The other big thing that uh, you take away from this as well is the personnel decisions. And we've talked about this a couple of times. I've referenced it here. Um, the, the one thing, obviously, when Joe Shane was asked about, you looking to strip this thing down to the studs? Are you looking to win right now? What is your perspective on it? He had a simple response there. Yeah, Russ, I'm not a big tear it up. He's not a big tear it up kind of guy. He thinks that you can obviously um, 
you know, rebuild and tweak the roster while still fielding a competitive team. And I think there's a difference here between the way that sounds versus Dave Gettleman saying, you know, we're here to win now and I'm taking your running back second overall, et cetera. Right. I think when you look at this roster and Joe Shane referenced the game against the New Orleans Saints this past season, when everybody was healthy, it was all the key players that made key plays for them to help win that game down the stretch. So certainly there is talent on this roster. He also said, as far as from a personnel and players you want to have on this team, it's guys that you think, again, represent the organization the right way on and off the field, and also veterans that can send that message down the line through this team to all of the younger players. So there's a couple of things I just wanted to touch on here before we get out the door. The first one was James Bradbury. I think this is a guy that makes all the sense in the world for a couple of reasons. One, we had heard the rumors about that maybe the Giants would look to extend him. I don't know if that would be on the table at this point, but when you look at his contract, the dead cap numbers, they're a little bit more difficult to kind of swallow, even if he's traded or you know released, et cetera. They're a little bit closer together. I think it's a post-June trade or cut would be 8.3 in dead cap, 13.5 in cap room. So, you know, you want those things, to those mar margins to be as far apart as possible. I, I talked about a guy like Leonard Williams, right, where the dead cap is closer to four and the cap room is 17. That's the kind of margins you want to work with. But even beyond that, James Bradbury is just 28 years old. I think in my mind, I had aged him up a couple of years. And while last year wasn't the most consistent season for him, it wasn't the most consistent season for the New York football giants. And I think you can very much see the value in keeping him on the books over these next couple of seasons, even potentially at big cap numbers and saying, you know, 2022, 13 million on the books. 2023 is avoidable year when he'll be 30 years old. There's a prorated bonus of 1.36. So there's really not a big reason for the New York football giants uh, to, to keep him around for this upcoming season, have him be a strong communicator, have him be that veteran presence for the secondary, and then make a decision in 2023. And all of a sudden you see a little bit of cap room coming off the books for the team that they can utilize in other places. So that's, that's one of the first guys that I would say, you don't worry about him going anywhere. But again, this is where the draft comes into play and and where they go in the draft, what positions they acquire. I still very much think that you potentially look at a Kenny Galladay and say, how quickly can we pivot off of this? If there is a big-bodied wide receiver, a 50-50 you know, ball guy in the second, third round, depending on how your first two picks go early and what you think about the offensive line, et cetera, if you can go get that young player and you have Kadarius Tony, you know, you start to build out this roster in a different way. And whether it's post June one or in the first six weeks of the season before the deadline, I still think that moving Kenny Galladay makes a lot of sense. And, and this is what we talk about the difficult decisions that, that Shane referenced of, we need to make, get some cap room here. We got to free some stuff up. It's going to be some hard personnel decisions, but he gave every indication. I want to be able to do some things in free agency. And you're not doing that right now with the cap room that you have or that you don't have at the moment. So you're going to have to look at some of these guys and make some of those hard decisions. And if you think about it from that standpoint and what you want to be able to accomplish in the short term, then I think you have to sit here and say, what if you cut somebody pre-June 1, right? Where do those numbers look? And from that standpoint, you look at guys like Nate Solder, it's a $4 million dead cap. You free up nothing. So that's kind of that, that you know, pre-June 1 or post-June 1. I don't know if he lingers around there. You just take the hit, certainly. But any pre-June 1 cuts, you know, it's not going to be a Leonard Williams. I'm just running through the big ticket items you have on the roster here. It's not going to be any of these larger names. 
You're not talking about any of the big cornerbacks. Now, a guy, a pre-June one cut like Blake Martinez, where it's a $5.5 million dead cap, but an $8.5 million cap savings, yes. Coming off an injury and given that Blake Martinez at this moment is just 27 years old right now, but he's going to be 28 by the end of the contract coming up. And if you can get out from underneath it now, free up $8.5 million, whether it's for draft picks, whether it's for players and free agency, he's a hard guy, you know. We've always been excited about what Blake Martinez is as a player while acknowledging he certainly is a limited player at the linebacker position, right? He's not a sideline to sideline guy. He's a fairly north and south linebacker that you want up there in the box against the run, putting some pressure on the quarterback. That's great. He's not a coverage linebacker. He doesn't have speed in that type of way, right? He's not hip quick turning and getting up field, et cetera, moving with the action at some point. So now that you drafted Aziz Ojolari last year, you had Roche in there. We know that uh, we think that Ellerson Smith can come along here. You even had Jalen Smith in from the Cowboys. These are kind of the, you know, this clump of personnel you look at and say, okay, if we're again going into the draft and we think about having five picks in the top 80, you have to wonder, can we accomplish getting in maybe two defensive players and three offensive players that afford us to move on from some of these guys? Sterling Shepard comes to mind as well, but here's the reason why. The pre-June cut would not work in my mind for him. It's $8 million dead cap and just $4.5 million in cap savings. He's a guy that you can knock me for it if you want, but I believe that he's a guy that'll still be on this roster this year because the ratio of dead cap, even on a post-June one, he's probably a guy that's on this roster. And if you realize, hey, X free agent just became available, we want to go get him, we need $4 million, $5 million, $6 million of cap room, that's when I think Sterling Shepard would be released. Obviously, a guy like Kyle Rudolph is a pre-June 1 candidate getting yourself $5 million freed up on $2.5 million dead cap. A lot of numbers, but the point is I think you're going to see at least one of these bigger names come off this roster, whether it's pre-June 1 or at the end of the summer and you know, in that offseason ahead of August where you look at it and say, hey, moving on from this is going to free up X, Y, and Z. Maybe you want to get into the regular season and allow these guys to showcase themselves. But I do believe even a guy like keep your eye on the draft and where the, you know, where the giants want to go, obviously free agency, but a guy like Leonard Williams for as talented as he is. And we may look at him and say, this could be a cornerstone piece, whether or not Patrick Graham gets the head coaching job or stays on board as the defensive coordinator could play a factor there too. But you have to look at him and say, Dexter Lawrence is going to have a contract coming up here soon. If we like Dexter Lawrence and we want to go forward with him, there's going to be money tied in there. Do you really want to have that much of a financial commitment to the interior of your defensive line, depending on what the structure looks like? We know they're playing on the outside. You need a nose tackle in between them right now. If that's the case, though, then I think you look at a guy who's in the prime of his career, can be very productive, and certainly there would be suitors for him. You take a little bit of a reduced value on return for Leonard Williams, maybe. But the money that you'd be able to free up would obviously be a valuable one. Again, though, these are decisions that come a little bit later in the offseason. End of the day, we know that Flores is obviously in the building. He's going to be uh, talking about what his plans for the New York football giants would be, how he would approach utilizing Daniel Jones in the potential short or long term. And, and then Patrick Graham as well. Um, it's interesting, man. We all kind of had this, this very one-to-one line of, well, if it's Joe Shane, then it's obviously going to be Brian Dable. We didn't feel that same way about a guy like Adam Peters out of the 49ers. It was, well, you have the offensive mind in Mike McDaniel, you know, you know, that the defensive coordinator there, you start pulling the other ties to other coaches around the league that he has. But 
Uh, as I said at the top there, if Flores, if you know that Flores is comfortable being off this idea of Deshaun Watson and you want to move forward and he has this vision and he's the local guy, I love everything about what he accomplished in Miami. I think that he overachieved based on personnel. I think he overachieved based on the skill set of his quarterback and some injuries they dealt with there. And it seems like maybe he overachieved based on what he was burdened with in terms of his relationship internally with the GM there. So I'd be, uh, listen, I, I said before, there's not a lot of candidates I wouldn't be happy with. I'm even trying to reframe myself on Dan Quinn if that ends up being the case. The interesting thing would then be Brian Flores potentially would be looking at a guy like Bill O'Brien, who's currently the OC. We mentioned this uh, a couple episodes ago down in Alabama coming in as the offensive coordinator. And while Bill O'Brien may have been a bit of a chucklehead as the GM slash head coach in Houston, I wouldn't be totally against that. I, you know, I, I think that he could bring in, bring in and do a lot of good things from an offensive system standpoint. So we'll keep our eye on all this stuff, but as the days turn, it's an ever fluid situation. I, I, I am, you know, turning the page a little bit from day bowl here. At least that seems to be the indications. And that's not me then getting rose colored glasses on some of these other candidates. It's just, there's this hierarchy of who you think fits with who, and then who you would prefer to be at the helm. We said it about the GM, right? Adam Peters may have been the top of my list. It doesn't mean that I don't think Joe Shane is going to do a great job. I may have drawn the connection to Brian Dable, but it doesn't mean that Flores hasn't always been in the side view mirror here saying, look at the success that he achieved there. First time with three consecutive seasons of 500 or better football for the Miami Dolphins. I think since early 2000s, maybe since 2000, you know, there's success achieved there. And it's not like they're one of the stacked franchises in terms of talent. So I think he's a good quality football coach that maybe is starting to poke his head out in front here. Although again, Dan Quinn rears his head to, I think most mostly Giants fans dismay. Well, we'll get all the information as we come in. Andy and I'll be back tomorrow. Going to give our football picks. We've been doing the host battle uh, all the way through these playoffs. So we'll get into a fun weekend coming up here with the NFC and AFC championships on the line. And then even dip our toe into some other coaching news, obviously around the league, the Denver Broncos, the Chicago Bears, the Vikings made a GM hire. There's going to be some uh, chairs moving on the deck here, including inside of the draft. If we speculate on what's possible out in Denver as they pluck the OC there from Green Bay Packers, very close association with one Aaron Rodgers. We'll break it all down. We'll send you off into the weekend on just a beautiful football feeling. And as Andy Makowitz, were he to be here, would want, need, and nay, demand you, the fine people, know. As always, let's go Big Blue.